Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Lori Atwood. She is the founder of Fearless Finance by Atwood Financial Planning based in Washington, D.C. Welcome to the Money Answer Show, Lori. Thank you for having me, Jordan. Just start with a little bit of your history and how you created uh, Fearless Finance. Yeah, absolutely. So in uh, 2016, I started taking clients. Um, I got my, my certified financial planning registration and certification, and I started to take clients. And uh, the, the thing that I knew I wanted more than anything was to be accessible to people who typically don't get um, fiduciary financial advice. And so the way that I found worked best to lower barriers for people who typically don't want to see a financial advisor or are worried about seeing a financial advisor was to charge by the hour. And uh, I started charging by the hour and the business just grew because people were really looking for someone that was fiduciary that they could trust that wasn't selling them anything and wasn't trying to manage their money or any of that kind of thing. And, um, and that's what we do. And now we have seven associates around the country. We, we work virtually in all 50 states and we provide financial planning by the hour, fiduciary financial planning by the hour. So do you also manage people's money or you're only giving them advice and then they have to implement it? Yeah, we do not manage money. And so what we do typically is um, we work with whoever, you know, say, for example, you're with Fidelity or you're with Vanguard or you're with Schwab or whatever it is. Um, we will give you advice, you know, that works for that custodian and we can help you implement, um, you know, by sharing screens and saying this is this is how you trade and, and that sort of thing. But most of, you know, most clients today are pretty savvy about doing simple trades and it works great. So you say there's a lot of noise in the personal finance and fintech world these days. What do you mean by noise out there? Yeah, um, so what I mean is that there are a lot of people out there who are, saying they're financial advisors, they're putting themselves out there as experts or coaches or whatever it happens to be. And there's obviously a lot of sort of the financial infotainment world. And it's really hard for people to know what the right advice is. And most importantly, to take what could be really great advice and bring it down to their own specific situation. I find that that's where the break happens is that, you know, you can read somebody's book and that person could be an excellent author and they could have really great suggestions. But if you can't take his or her suggestions and bring it down to your own situation, you know, the, the basement at your house that is flooded or whatever it is, it's still, it's just not that useful. And so there's a lot of that kind of, um, advice and again some of it's great out there but people have a hard time filtering through the advice grabbing the bits that matter for them and implementing it in their own specific household their own needs the other big thing that's going on today is fintech and you have all these platforms wealthfront and 
so on that it managed money for you using passive investing and indexes. So do you think that plays a role in people's uh, portfolios to, to have a, a fintech platform as the main way you invest your money? So that's an interesting question. It's a great question, actually. So there's fintech to help you manage, you know, the day-to-day aspects of personal finance, and then there's fintech to help you invest. And I think things like Wealthfront and Betterment, they're fine because at their essence, they're getting people into index funds and ETFs, which is critical because those are the lowest cost, and that's the best place for most people to be. Um, However, they're still, their fees are, are higher than if that person goes to a discount brokerage, gets advice from someone, you know, that's a fiduciary, you know, by the hour or fee only, and implements it. That's keeping more of your money. Okay. Now you so have- oh, I was just going to say, I think there's a place for those, those fintech, um, you know, solutions and i think some of them are better than others but once you're going into somebody else picking your investments for you you're adding a layer of expense that you don't need to so you're saying most people if they learn can pick their own investments well i'm saying that uh some people if they learn can pick their own but most people can can you know do it with the help of an advisor that is not selling them things and is not um, making money off of churning their portfolio and not making money off of assets under management. You know, if they find an advisor who just provides advice, I think that they get to keep more of their money because they're they're in index funds or in some cases ETFs that are near zero, the fees are near zero. Uh, and if they're in a smartly allocated portfolio, you know, less of it's going into someone else's pocket. And that's always what I want to see. How important are fees? I mean, people think of management fees as a 0.1, 0.2. doesn't sound like an awful lot. Over time, how does uh, management fees kind of add up? Oh, my goodness. This is a great question. It's enormous, actually. Um, Vanguard has a great, you can Google sort of Vanguard comparator tool and you can put in your actively managed funds that are at you know whatever it is maybe 67 basis points or a dollar you know 1.25 basis points whatever it happens to be and you can compare that to an index fund and you'll see over sort of a 10-year period or a 20-year period well a 20-year period it's a lot it's thousands of dollars plus the fact that 80% of the time active investment does not beat the index. So if you roll in the, the uh, performance with the fees, and if it's not a retirement account, the taxes you have to pay every time they buy and sell, you're really, you're, you're simply not clearing the hurdle of beating the market. You're, you're really, um, you know, chances are you're not doing as well. So are you saying you should never do an actively managed fund uh, or pick stocks yourself, you should only do passive index funds? Never is a strong word, Jordan. Um, (laughs) It's a very strong word, but uh, I can't imagine a situation in which a regular retail investor who doesn't have some other mitigating circumstance, um, just, you know, mom and pop, whatever you want to call it, I can't imagine a situation in which that person would be better off with active managers. 
Okay, and then how about picking stocks? As you called it the infotainment uh, industry. Yeah. So you, you, you're saying watching CNBC and trading every 15 minutes is probably not going to work out well? It's probably not going to work out well. That is true. That is what I'm saying. I have no problem with somebody taking a small amount of their savings as a hobby and, you know, for example, there's some people who are really into clean tech and they want to they want to research all these new clean tech companies. And, you know, if you take a small amount of your non-retirement funds, your non-qualified funds, uh, and, and you want to do this as a hobby, I'm not going to stop you. But with your retirement funds, they should be in index funds or ETFs where, where allowable. Uh, and most of your non-qualified savings should also be, you know, because what we're looking for is the diversification and the low fees. In the end, that's where you're going to really make your most money. When people come to you as new clients, you find that they've often tried active management or even individual stock trading and not had a good experience? Yeah, I, it, that depends on the age. Um, you know, my clients who have had enough life experience and accumulated enough assets to invest, um, yes, many times when I show them what they see, here's the problem is that a lot of times if you have a manager, you have an advisor, you have a managed set of accounts somewhere, you don't know how much you're spending in fees. They do a great job of obfuscating or it, you know, I don't want to use any stronger word than that because they're in compliance with the SEC, but it's not obvious what you're paying in fees. So as a result, most clients have no idea. And when you show them and you look at their performance against either whatever, a total market index fund or an S&P 500 index fund, a lot of times they're shocked, they're not happy, they're frustrated, they didn't know. Now you call your firm Fearless Finance. Uh, the people who are coming to you are filled with fear. How do you get the fear out of them so that they become fearless? Well, that's a great question. So the reason that the firms name that is because money has so much emotion and, if you will, baggage with it. You know, people have different upbringings, they have different personalities, they have different money habits. A lot of times they get partnered with somebody and that person doesn't have the same habits and baggage and all of that. And it, it becomes fraught emotionally and psychologically. And a lot of times that manifests itself as anxiety and fear. And so we want to try and reduce the stress around money by helping people have a plan, knowing that they're invested in the best possible way. But a lot of the work we do is before investment. It's on cash flow. It's on paying down debt. It's on whether to buy an investment property, whether to sell a current property, how to fund college, and all those things that happen. You know, investment happens way down the road. <coughs> yeah. In many cases, people think of that's the first first thing but it is not they yeah. have to be ready for that first yes that's right that's absolutely right just ask about the engagement process when you bring on a new client do they have to fill out a whole long form or kind of how do you engage with the client at the beginning yeah so um typically they come to our website there's a contact form on the website like i think on almost every page of the website and the email comes in and then a planner reaches you know based on whatever description they put in it a planner reaches out to them we have a brief, you know, sort of 15, 20 minute 
free of charge intro call to see if it's the right fit, to see what's really going bump in the night for the potential client, all of those things. And then, um, you know, once they've signed an engage, they've decided to work with us, they signed an engagement letter, they get scheduled for their first meeting. We try to lower the, the obstacles for people getting help. And so as a result, you have very little that you have to provide to us before the first meeting. We do most of it as a discussion in the meeting. And that helps people because they get scared when they're like, oh, I have to find my 401k from 30 years ago. It's not like that. We want you to come to the table as you are. We're going to ask certain questions. We're going to ask for some materials, but they're very easy to find. And typically it takes, you know, two to three meetings for an initial plan with each meeting being, I don't know, an hour to an hour and a quarter or something like that. What kind of resources do you have on your website to help people get ready for that? Well, we, uh, you know, we go through the whole process on the website. Um, we have a, what I think is a really robust FAQ where we talk about, you know, what happens if you want to change your plan or what happens if you no longer want to, you know, be a fearless finance client, what happens if whatever it is. And we answer a lot of those questions. Um, we also have a, what I think again is a very robust blog where we, post about a lot of different topics and sometimes people can find, understand our approach to things just by reading some of those, you know, how do you save for a property down payment? How do you fund college? And we talk about all of that stuff. We also have, you know, specialists, some of our associates have specialties when someone has say student loan issues, one of our associates is a certified student loan planner, you know, so we're trying to get the right fit for that client and, and again, reduce the stress and the fear and the anxiety. Very good. We're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Lori Atwood. She is the founder of Fearless Finance by Atwood Financial Planning based in Washington, D.C. You can find out more about her and her firm at her website, fearlessfinance.com. We'll be back after this. Nobody likes the guy who says, I told you so. The guy in 1991 who said to you, invest in the internet, it's gonna be huge. Or the guy in 1997 who said, come on, this is gonna be big, they call it social media. And the guy in 2009 who said, I'm telling you man, crypto is real. Now, I'm not gonna be that guy who says, I told you so. But I am telling you that there is a 21-year-old international company where you can become a global project partner earning a passive income doing exactly what you're doing at this moment. No selling, no recruiting clients, no administering a business after hours. Visit www.mypassiveincome.life now. That's mypassiveincome.life. Don't let history repeat itself on this one. Earn a passive income. Now listen again. That's mypassiveincome.life. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. 
We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Lori Atwood. She's the founder of Fearless Finance by Atwood Financial Planning based in Washington, D.C. Her website, fearlessfinance.com. Welcome back to the show, Lori. Thank you, Jordan. Do you have what you call the four key elements to personal finance? What would those be? Well, uh, for me, for us, it's the first one. It sounds very basic, but it is kind of where the rubber meets the road in personal finance, which is spending less than you earn each month. And I think a lot of people, you know, they want to skip right to the investments and the interesting stuff. And, And really, that is the critical piece of everything stems from it. And the second is um, making sure you have appropriate cash reserves for things like emergencies. Uh, To me, an emergency is a loss of income, a total loss of income. It's usually due to job loss, disability, or divorce. And also for rainy days, things like pipes that burst and break jobs that need to happen with the car, whatever it is. The third is making sure you're appropriately contributing to your retirement plan, wherever that is. And the fourth is managing any sort of consumer debt. I mean, hopefully the fourth is zero, but if it isn't that you have a plan to reduce it and pay it off in full. Let's take a look at these one at a time. So first of all, spending less than you earn. (laughs) Inflation has been going up faster than people's earnings. And yeah. they're able to do that because their cost of basic housing, food, gas, you know, basic kinds of things are more than they're earning. Uh, and so what do you do in a circumstance like that when you're doing your best, but expenses are higher than your earnings? Well, I mean, yeah, there. unfortunately, there's a, a community or, or a, a strata of people where not only inflation has has made it such that they can't spend less than they earn, but just in general, the earnings they make from whatever jobs they're doing, they simply can't get their heads above water or get off the treadmill or whichever metaphor you want to use. But where I, but, but for that number one criteria, it's for those of us in, in the position where we can. And I'm not saying that you have to earn hundreds of thousands a year. I'm just saying that we want to make sure that if the that you can meet the basics, the housing, the childcare, if, nece- if, if appropriate, food and utilities at less than what you're earning. And like I said, for some people, that's just not unfortunately going to happen. But for most people, what happens is they become overhoused. They pay too much for their housing, thinking they have more cash flow than they do each month, or they're paying too much. Sometimes daycare, there's not much you can do about it. Um, you know, or in some other way, their lifestyle has gotten out over over their skis, uh, you know, over their income. And that's really, you know, a lot of times people just simply don't know what they're earning net. And they're thinking about their gross number or they're thinking about, um, 
well, I'm going to get this bonus and I'm, you know, and then I've got this money coming in from dog walking or whatever it is. And they're using the money for more than one function. And then they go out and they buy a car that's too much for them, or they buy something else that they're paying off a nice mattress or a couch or whatever it is. And suddenly they're, they're underwater. And that's really what, what I'm talking about. But you're right. There will be a community of people working as hard as they possibly can and still can't do it. Yeah. The next one is cash reserves. Now you earn pretty much nothing on money market funds and so on. Where do you put your cash reserves? You're going to earn a decent yield these days. Yeah. So right now, money markets are not too bad. Um, if you're in a high yield savings account, you're making three and a half, three point seven five. If you're in a money mar a legit a full mar money market, you're uh, you know you're up around four percent. And so for a small, I mean, what what I recommend to people we as a firm recommend is, you know, if you're, if you don't have young kids at home and you don't have a house that constantly needs care, you know, you're renting or you're in a condo or something that's newer, you know, simply having a couple thousand dollars in cash is what you need for rainy days, uh, not emergencies, rainy days, things like, um, you know, a sudden root canal that you need or whatever it is that, that, is not money that requires a ton of return. If you have that in a high yield savings account, you are fine. Um, emergency savings should be three to six months of your expenses. So if a family, you know, a household of say, for example, four people is spending, I don't know what, six, seven grand a month, which would be typical in a lot of cities in this country, um, you know, then you're up at, Twenty, thirty thousand dollars. If you have that set aside for emergencies, you would definitely want that in a high yield or a money market. I don't want people to invest it because typically, when you need your emergency savings, it's it's mostly due to a job loss. And guess what? That does not usually happen on the highest day of the market. It usually happens on the lowest. And so, I don't want people to be invested in the stock market and then suddenly have to pull the money out because they need it to live on and it's gone down. Yeah. Your third one is retirement plans. So what, what is the order in which you should do them? Should you do your 401k first or a Roth IRA or regular IRA or? This is a great, this is a great question. So everybody's different because everybody's situation may be different. If you're a regular W-2 employee and you're offered a 401k wherever you work or a 403b if you're an academic, um, you know, if you're a teacher or you're a firefighter or, or, or civic jobs, that would be a 403B. Um, definitely take advantage of it, especially if you have a match. You certainly want to have at least be contributing the match. But what I recommend is that you're contributing 15% total. So, for example, if your employer is providing a 4% match, my recommendation, if you can possibly do it, is that you are contributing 11%. And that gets me to my 15. And then I kind of know you're not going to be eating cat food in retirement. Um, it's a very basic rule of thumb. If somebody is going to inherit, if somebody has a lot of, uh, you know, different properties that throw off cash, then that rule of thumb would need to be adjusted. This is your basic person going into a job five days a week with none of those other sort of mitigating circumstances. 
Um, in terms of Roth and traditional, I, I think it's always great to have Roth um, savings. And what I recommend is a third to a half in Roth if you're offered Roth and traditional at your 401k. And some people aren't. In fact, I think most people aren't. Um, if you're able to do a Roth account, a Roth IRA account, in, in other words, your income or your joint income is less than the income limits, by all means, you should do it. It's great to have Roth funds out there. If you can still fill a traditional IRA, great. And then your fourth one is to get rid of consumer debt. Now, lately, uh, particularly credit card debt has been soaring dramatically at very high interest rates, 19% yeah. or so. Student loan debt is up to 1.8 trillion at you know, record levels. Mortgage debt is 13 trillion. So consumers have been taking off an awful lot of debt lately. What, what do you recommend for people? Again, they're doing it because their expenses are higher than their income and they're making up the difference with debt. What do you recommend that people don't get into that trap? Yeah, so there are a couple things to unpack here. The first is um, when I talk about managing debt, I'm very much talking about non-securitized debt. If you have a solid mortgage and you were lucky enough to get that mortgage before rates went up, fabulous. I don't see, you know, I'm not worried about that. If you have a good car loan, it's only 1%, 2%. It's a car you're going to keep well after it's paid off. Fabulous. Don't worry about it. But what I'm talking about is plain old credit card debt and consumer debt, consumer loans like that you get from an online provider or whatever it is. And most of the time, many times, not always, many times, this is due to lifestyle. You just, the person has just overspent. And sometimes it's due to an event, a divorce and legal fees. It's due to fertility treatments. It's due to some event. And then what we want to do is just make sure we have a plan to pay that off. So any excess each month is going to pay that off. We know it's only happened that one time, hopefully. And we don't need to worry about ongoing debt accumulation. But if it is lifestyle, what we need to worry about is continuous debt accumulation. And that's really where the plan comes into play, is bringing down those lifestyle costs so that this person is not continuing to accumulate debt. People are probably not very happy to hear that. They want to downshift their no. and So you're the bearer of bad news. How do you handle that? I'm usually the bearer of bad news. <laughs> but, uh, but what I do hear from my clients is, you know, I had one client say, you know, you're better than any antidepressant out there. And it's because sometimes people just feel like there's a paralysis. They have some consumer debt. Maybe it's some credit card debt. They can't get ahead. They can't get off the treadmill and they just freeze. And they're just like, I, I don't know what to do. So I'm not going to do anything. There are people out there to help, to get you on a plan, have you tracking have an idea, you know, sometimes they say, I don't know, I threw $500 at my credit card, but then I realized that I needed, you know, my kid had a cavity that needed to be filled. We want to make sure that you're living the way you need to live. And then you have excess, the right amount to throw at the credit cards each month, not just throwing it because you feel guilty or you're scared and you're anxious about your debt, all of which are legit feelings if you have credit card debt. But once people have a plan, a lot of times 
the anxiety goes down because they know, okay, I have to give 200, Lori said to put $227 a month toward my Amex. Here I am doing it. They know they're doing what they need to do. And they know how many months it'll take for them to get that debt down. And they're on, the paralysis goes away. The log jam goes away. And the biggest debt for a lot of people today is student loan debt. They're coming out of college with 100, 200, 300,000 in student loan debt. Uh, and it's a long-term situation. What do you do about that? There isn't anything to do about that, um, except to, <laughs> boy, this is like the world's most boring answer, except to pay it because, you know, I, I do see clients, especially if they're coming out of grad school and they have, you know, 50, 60, $100,000 of student loan debt. Theoretically and hopefully, whatever education you got allows you to earn enough to pay that money back. And if you're not, because you've gone to work for some really wonderful, uh, you know, nonprofit or whatever it is you're doing, you're doing Teach for America, whatever you're doing, um, it's going to be forgiven through the public service loan forgiveness program, which they've relaxed the criteria on, thank goodness, because that was a real sort of um, difficult rabbit warren of different things that you had to go through to get that forgiven. But if you don't, you know, if you're if you're in the camp of people who got their degree, they have some debt, they've got a great job as a result of their degree, then we just need to, to pay it off. Sometimes consolidating, sometimes, um, you know, trying to pay off some certain loans first and then other loans next makes sense, but you'd have to see each specific case. It, it doesn't go away. I mean, you, it's, an, it's like another mortgage and you're going to have to adjust your lifestyle along with it because that education has helped make you who you are and, you know, who you are and what you earn and all of those good things. And so the issue for me, Jordan, is when somebody goes to especially a for-profit profit college and does not finish the degree. Yeah. So then the earnings potential has not been increased commensurately. And then we have a real issue where that person may end up needing help with, you know, some way to get some sort of forgiveness or something. I mean, that's really where the issue lies for me. Yeah. All right. We're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Laurie Atwood. She is the founder of Fearless Finance by Atwood Financial Planning based in Washington, D.C. You can find out more at her website, fearlessfinance.com. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Do you or someone you love have a life insurance policy that's no longer needed or not affordable? Did you know that you can sell your policy for cash? Your reason for buying life insurance has probably changed. Thousands of Americans turn to life insurance settlements to help sell their policies. They act as your representative, getting the highest market offer for you. You've got nothing to lose by simply inquiring. If you're over 64 with $100,000 or more of life insurance, you may already qualify. Call 877-485-6681 to get your free non-binding appraisal or visit FundingLife.com. 
Life Insurance Settlements. Discover the true value of your life insurance. 877-485-6681. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Oh, back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Lori Atwood, founder of Fearless Finance by Atwood Financial Planning based in Washington, D.C. Her website, fearlessfinance.com. Welcome back to the show, Lori. Thank you, Jordan. So how do you save for large goals like buying a house? I mean, home prices have gone up so much. Mortgage rates are gone up so much. Uh, It seems like a very unattainable thing for an awful lot of people. How do you, in addition to everything we've talked about, getting out of debt and saving for retirement and cash reserves, how do you finance these large purchases? Yeah, uh, there's so many things to think about, especially younger people. They're just starting out. They maybe just got married or... Um, you know, just had a baby and then you throw daycare onto it and there's just very little left at the end of the month. Um, and I think that's all true, but financing large goals has to be a long-term project. Where we get into trouble is when people want sort of instant or near-term gratification. So I say to people all the time, I just said to a client this morning, you know, I know you want to buy a property, but first of all, interest rates are extremely high now. Let's wait and accumulate more cash and wait for it. Hopefully, interest rates will go down at some point in the near future. I mean, I don't think we're going to see them at you know three like we did a year ago, but we'll come down off the 7% where they are now. And you have more to put down. Because something like a property purchase is always a balance between the amount you have to put down and how much you can handle each month. And so the longer you accumulate more cash to put money down, the lower the monthly payment would be. And so the more comfortable you'll be. And then people always say, well, you know, but these homes, they're going up and it's crazy. And they're, you know, if I wait five years, then the price of the home will be much higher. And so it is a balance. You do need to strike that balance as to what the timing, what the right timing is for you and your household and what you think may happen to the housing market, especially if you live in a big city, because that's where we're seeing these dramatic increases. So again, it's all about timing and how long you think you can stay with it, be patient, keep kind of chipping away at the goal. Let's talk about job insecurity. Now, the unemployment rate is the lowest it's been since 1969. So in general, it's a very tight housing market. Yet there have been these massive layoffs, particularly in high tech, in Microsoft and uh, you know, Google and all these big companies. How can yeah. you evaluate 
your job security in this kind of environment today? Yeah, it's hard. Um, it's it's really interesting because everything that I've read and heard is that places, sectors like hospitality, healthcare, they're still suffering from a shortage of labor. And that's why the employment rate, unemployment rate is still so low. As you said, record lows for 50 years. Um, but other industries that maybe got a little crazy when interest rates were low and money was easily available, readily available, they overstaffed. And that's what you're seeing with these tech companies and laying people off. You know, other sectors, the tech companies seem to take up a lot of people's eyeball time, but other sectors are still in need of labor. And I think that you have to evaluate the sector you're in and where your profession is and what you're doing to try to evaluate what your your job security is. Obviously, there's things like, you know, how well you get along with your boss and how well your your uh, annual review was, those sorts of things. They're very personal. But from the standpoint of overall employment, I think it matters what sector you're in. Let's also talk about uh, other sources of income in addition to your job. What are some, unless you're going to be a Uber driver, you know, DoorDash delivery person or something, what other other sources of income and what are some sources of passive income that you recommend? Yeah, I, I, I mean, recommend might be too strong because, you know, I want people to be doing what they want to do. But I have clients, you know, if you are in the lucky position, fortunate and privileged position where you have some excess cash, having a rental property can make a lot of sense, especially if you don't mind being a landlord. If you're looking for just some extra cash, you know, it can be as simple as walking dogs. It can be as simple as, um, you know, cat sitting, dog sitting, those sorts of things. They're not passive. There's a difference between sort of side gig and passive earnings. For passive earnings, um, really, for most retail investors, uh, you know, rental income is is kind of the right place to go. I would never want people to think that I'm advocating, um, you know, for things like you know, marketing schemes. I'm not. I don't know enough about them to say anything about them. But there are legitimate places where you can sign up and do things like walk dogs and make some extra money. You can tutor you can give singing lessons if you know anything about singing so it ranges from the small to the very large which is having a, an excess income stream from an investment property yep. you can have an income stream off of investments but you really need to know what you're doing you have to be in dividend producing investments um to me that's a subject of another question that's a pretty complicated question there Let's talk about market volatility. I mean, last year, the market was down. People lost a lot of money. They'd been spoiled by having so, so many good years before. How should yeah. you feel emotionally and financially with a down market of a lot of volatility as we've seen lately? So this is a great question. And I speak as you know somebody who works with retail investors. I'm not talking about big institutional investors. But for regular people, me and you, regular retail investors, 
we want to stay the course. We want to be long-term investors. We don't want to trade a lot. We want to be in ETFs and index funds. And even in a down market, the last thing you want to do is sell. What you want to do is hold. Because historically, at least, the market goes back up. And you want to be well positioned for when that happens, i.e. in the ETFs, in the index funds, and ready when that happens, if and when that happens. So I think the best advice is to stay the course, make sure you're in low-cost index funds and that you're diver well diversified and don't sell in a down market. You're talking about, you're Mrs. Fearless Finance. So when the markets are down in 2008 or even last year, we had the COVID crash, how do you keep people hanging in there when it looks like the world's coming to an end? Well, it, to be honest, Jordan, um, you know, we have, the firm has around 2,000 clients and we have very few calls, even, you know, when COVID struck in the middle of March in 2020 and the markets plummeted. And when we had that, you know, that lovely year of 2022 with the markets, you know, we didn't have that many people calling saying, oh, what do I do? Woe is me. Most people understood that it, when they're in index funds, they want to buy and hold. Um, those people who did reach out, my advice was always the same, which was hold on, stop looking, don't check. Nobody's out there doing better than, than the index anyway. Everybody's suffering. Go find something else to do. And they, they did that. They, they turned off their TVs and didn't read the newspaper ever again. Huh? Well, a lot of them did because they seemed satisfied with my answer. Okay. <laughs> what are the pros and cons of exchange-traded funds, ETFs versus mutual funds, since both of them offer passive investing? Uh, well, I mean, it depends. If you're talking about in a non-qualified account, you know, not a retirement account, I like ETFs. The tax um, treatment is better. The fees are lower. They're much easier to trade, which we don't do a lot, right? We're buy and hold people. Um, and so I like ETFs, but I don't hate mutual funds. If that's what you're offered in, in some retirement accounts, that is all you're offered. Um, if you find good index funds that are mutual funds, I think that's great. So there's no particular advantage one over the other, then? Well, in your retirement accounts, not, not really. But like I said, you can trade in the middle of the day, and there are even lower fees with an ETF and better tax treatment. So in a non-qualified fund, ETFs are super attractive. But it's not an enormous amount of difference. And how about asset allocation? Uh, I mean, for younger people, should they have much in bonds, or should it be pretty much in stocks and then get into bonds as they get older? Yeah, I mean, that's always the kind of rule of thumb is that the younger you are, the longer your time horizon, the more you should have in stocks. And so, you know, if you're sort of under 40, you should be looking at the lion's share of your portfolio in the equities market. Um, absolutely. And then you start to taper. But I have a lot of people who really like to the aggressive stance. I mean, over the last hundred years, all stocks have still beat out a balanced portfolio, no matter how you slice it. So um, there are some people who have an appetite for that sort of risk, and, and we want to discuss that with them and make sure they have enough cash out so that if they're in retirement, they can they can take the money from the cash and not have to worry about selling if there's a down market. 
And does crypto and Bitcoin play a role in portfolios for you? No. <laughs> a lot of Not people are into Bitcoin these days. What do you think about them? Well, it's utterly unregulated. It's not backed by anything. It's wholly speculative. We've seen it plummet. We've seen it go crazy. We've seen scams. And so I don't want my clients anywhere near it. Again, if you have a few hundred dollars in crypto as a hobbyist, I'm not going to stop you. But nothing in your retirement should be in that sort of an alternative investment. Okay, well, that was clear. All right, we're going to take another break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show, my guest this hour is Laurie Atwood, founder of Fearless Finance uh, by Atwood Financial Planning based in Washington, D.C. Her website is fearlessfinance.com. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you a homeowner tired of making monthly mortgage payments with little progress towards paying down your principal? Does paying off your home in five to seven years without making larger or more frequent payments sound appealing? Paying off your home in full in five to seven years is really possible thanks to Truth and Equity's Mortgage Equity Optimization System, a money management approach that puts your money to work for you 24-7. If you own a home with some equity, have a decent credit score and verifiable income, you owe it to yourself to learn more about Truth and Equity's program. There's no need to replace your mortgage or refinance in many cases. The system works for new home purchases as well as current mortgages. Your home is your largest investment. Own it outright in five to seven years. Call Truth and Equity, 888-262-5540 or visit truthandequity.com, 888-262-5540. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Laurie Atwood, founder of Fearless Finance by Atwood Financial Planning based in Washington, D.C. Her website, fearlessfinance.com. Welcome back to the show, Laurie. Thanks for having me, Jordan. So you have a particular model of kind of the hourly way. How can people look at what kind of financial advisor they should get? Because there are people that charge commissions, there are people that charge asset management fees, people do it by the hour. How can people pick what's best for them? Well, as I, you know, we've been talking about this already. We want to keep fees as low as possible for retail investors so that they get to keep more of their money. And when you're giving um, somebody who does assets under management 1% per year, you're not keeping the most of your money that you could be keeping. So I always tell people, you want to avoid anybody who's selling products. It's hard to tell, but if you walk in somewhere and you don't, there's no obvious way that you're paying this person, they're probably on commission. So you want to avoid that situation because chances are they're not going to have your best interests at heart. Even if they say they're fiduciary, fiduciary has lots and lots of meanings to lots of different people. When you're paid by the hour, you're truly fiduciary because, you know, <clears throat> if you were in the fortunate position of having a couple hundred thousand dollars in a brokerage account and suddenly you decided you really wanted a beach house, if I'm managing your money and getting paid assets under management, I'm not going to encourage you to take that money out and buy that beach house. 
even though that is really what you want. And it might be a solid financial decision. And so you're looking for somebody who's truly fiduciary. And the best way to do that is fee only by the hour or, you know, whatever other day rate. I don't know how other people charge besides me if they're fee only. But the unfortunate thing is that there are very few by the hour or fee only advisors out there. And so you want to be careful who you're talking to, even people who manage Say you go to a discount broker and they're like, oh, you could have an advisor and it's only 30 basis points or it's only this. That's still you not keeping the most of your money. And that's what we're after. So I encourage people to look for a by the hour fee only fiduciary planner. For people to keep track of their uh, finances in an organized way and their budget and their debts and so on, are there particular apps or software that you recommend to help people stay organized? Well, funny you should ask. Uh, so we've developed an app also called Fearless Finance. If you're either on uh, an Android or an Apple phone, you can you can check it out wherever you buy your apps. Um, and that's for tracking spending, specifically your, your full discretionary spending, eating out, buying clothes, whatever it is. There are a lot of apps out there. There's a lot of fintech out there. And most of the time, my clients find it overwhelming. Something like Mint or You Need a Budget can be really overwhelming and anxiety producing. But the key that you want to keep in mind is if you're, and I want you to be tracking your spending. And when you're tracking your spending, you want to track it in an app where you can still do something about it. Meaning, if you're tracking it based on your, say, I don't know, your credit card or your bank, and you're looking at the, the statement and you're looking at your transactions after they've been spent, all you're going to feel is stress and anxiety because you can't go back and change the past. We want you to be tracking in a forward way so you can say, you know what, I'm going to hold off and wait on that pair of shoes because I don't have as much this month because I had to pay for my daughter's swim lessons or whatever it is and make those trade-offs. Then I've got you. Then you're bulletproof if you're able to make those trade-offs in real time. So whatever app you're looking for, whether it's ours or somebody else's, you want to make sure you can make decisions before the money gets spent. Yeah. Okay, let's go to some bigger issues. So recently there was a report about the future of security and Medicare. Medicare saying it's going to last for like another five years till 2028, Social Security till maybe 2034 before they kind of run out of money. What is your outlook for the future of Medicare and Social Security? And do you think Congress is going to do something to save both of them? Uh, I think, yes, the, I think that, that the legislature will do something to save both of them. Now, will they change? Will they add means testing? Will they raise retirement ages or criteria to be eligible? Sure, maybe. I don't think they're going away, though, because um, the most avid voters in this country are living off of those things. And uh, sure, there's the Jeff Bezoses and the people who are ultra rich, but most people in their retirement are still using those, um, you know, those benefits to supplement what they're doing. I don't think they're going to go anywhere anytime soon. I don't know. Again, they may be shaped differently, but I don't think they're going to go away. You're saying for younger people who say, oh, Social Security will never be there for me. You don't think that's the right way to think about it. I don't think that's the right way to think about it. 
No, I think it will be there. Like I said, it may it may have morphed into something that looks a little bit different, but I don't discount it to zero. No, not at all. Let's talk about the Fed Reserve, which has raised rates eight times in the last year. How much yeah. do you think they're going to keep raising rates? Oh, boy, this is a real sort of party question. You know, everybody corners me at any sort of social event on this question. Um, <clears throat> I don't know, but he's not done. He's definitely not done. I think that we may get, um, you know, sort of quarter point increases through the rest of 2023, possibly a half point. It's show, inflation has shown itself to be extremely stubborn, as we just learned last week, when core inflation was still, you know, slightly increased. So I don't think he's done. And um, but I don't think we'll have those three quarter point increases. Do you think he's doing the right thing? You sh should be raising rates more? I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not an economist by training, although I really like it and I read a lot about it. Um, I He certainly can't start cutting rates right now. I think that would not be the right thing because the last thing we want is to be stuck with increasing inflation and a recession and be in stagflation. That would be just a nightmare. It's a nightmare to get out of that. So. Um, I I thought it was aggressive when he was raising at 75 basis points in 2022. I'm glad he's he's slowing down that that raising of rates, but um, I don't think it's over. Yeah. In the time we have left, why don't you kind of summarize what difference it would make in people's lives to follow the advice we've talked about here compared to what a lot of people are doing without the kind of advice you're, you're offering? Well, I mean, the difference is really around, uh, you know, having a comfortable retirement, reducing your stress level, reducing the stress argument, you know, arguments between you and your partner and, you know, being able to find the money to do larger goals like pay for college or buy a property or whatever it is you have on your list. You know, just hitting that first tenant of my four is going to get you closer to those goals. And so just increasing people's confidence and reducing their stress, it's good for everybody, obviously, and, and certainly good for, for that person. And I think mo most people can get to that point if they have a plan in place and they trust their advisor and they're not worried about being scammed or paying extra. And it's doable, you're saying. It's, it, there's a it lot is. of fear around this. But you're saying you can take the fear out of it. I think you can take the fear. I know you can take the fear out of it. I think you can have a plan at any place you are in your journey, your financial journey. 23 years old, just starting out, 73 years old in retirement and, you know, looking to spend the rest of your life comfortably. I think you absolutely can do it if you take the time to put a plan together. Very good. Well, thanks so much. My guest this hour has been Laurie Atwood. Uh, she's the founder of Fearless Finance at Atwood Financial Planning um, in uh, Washington, D.C. Uh, her uh, website is fearlessfinance.com. You can find out more and uh, avail yourself of her services. So thanks so much. You've been a, a great guest on the Money Answer Show, Laurie. Thanks so much for the opportunity, Jordan. I really appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Laurie. And we'll be back next week with another edition of the Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now.
Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.